Well, we're doing real marriage, and the last two weeks, um, honestly, have um, blown me away. I've been absolutely stoked by the response that you've been turning in on your Connect cards, which is the primary communication tool we use around here on a large scale, but also my private email and Facebook has been lit up. And I just want to say that for some of you, I know you're holding on. I mean, listen to me. You're holding on to like a thin thread, and you're wondering if your marriage that you have right now is, is even going to last. And as we've talked about these things, it's raised up feelings, and it's bumped the bruises a bit, and you, you have extra emotion around it. And I want to tell you today, I have an encouraging word for you. I have an encouraging word from a God who loves you. Do you know this? Do you know that Jesus isn't dead today? Do you know that the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, and our Savior is risen. And the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be at work in our bodies, will be at work in our lives, accomplishing God's good purpose in us. Now, some of you today, you're like, you're wondering if you're even going to get a marriage. Or you've had one, and you're wondering if you're going to have any more companionship and, and closeness like that. And I want to tell you that until you breathe your last breath, God's purpose for your life on this earth isn't over. I don't know exactly where his path for you is going to take you, but if you'll get on his path for your life, it will take you places that will far exceed your wildest imagination. God isn't done with you. And then there's a whole group of us, especially some of us men and brothers, I'm proud of you. And you've heard God calling you to step up in a way that you haven't sensed in a long time. For some of you, it's the first time. And uh, there is, if, I'm, if I can use this word, if you'll let me, uh, there is a revival, I think, happening within marriages. And the, the real proof that there's a move of God happening in an organization like a church is not what happens in this room between the hour of 9.45 and, you know, whenever it is we get out of here. That is not the proof of revival. It's not even what we do in terms of sending money around the world. It's whether or not we can take the things we learn in this room and bring them home with us and let them work for us there. That is the proof that the Spirit of God is on the run and we're keeping up with Him. When the things that we talk about and the things that stir our soul here in this room are taken home and translated as we talk to our spouse, to our kids, as we take them to work with us, that's the proof that revival is happening. It's less something you plan for and more something you get on board with. So I've got a very encouraging word for you, but I want to take you back to your childhood for just a little bit and ask you if you remember a few stories. Do you remember the stories, uh, parents, some of you, and if you have grandkids, maybe you're there as well. Remember the story of Beauty and the Beast. Do you remember the whole story here? Beauty and the Beast, the whole point was trying to get them together, and they had to overcome op- every obstacle. And the entire two-hour cartoon, or if you saw the Broadway play, which was pretty spectacular, um, if you saw that, the entire two-hour production was all about getting them together. And the idea was that if these two distant people could come together, if we could just get them together, everything would be all right. And like every good fairy tale, it ends with a standard line. And they lived, do you know this? Happily ever after. Remember Cinderella? And the obstacles she had to overcome, and there was a, a, an economic gap, as well as a social training gap. And yet, in a magical moment, she's allowed to go be around some people she'd never been around. And there was a connection, there was chemistry, love at first sight. And yet, then the magic wore off. And then the rest of the story is about her challenges and trials and trying to reconnect with the guy. And finally, near the end of the story, they reconnect, and the story ends. And they lived happily ever after. Remember Sleeping Beauty? A curse was spoken over her early in her childhood. And it affected her so that on a certain birthday, she pricked her finger while spinning uh, a spinning wheel and she falls asleep. And only the kiss of her true love 
would set her free. And so the entire story is about the challenge. And if we could just bring the two of them together, the chemistry alone would carry the relationship. And the story ends with them living, one more time, happily ever after. So you do know these stories, right? And our entire culture is set so that the idea, if we can just get two people together, the chemistry will kick in. The love will be there. (laughs) The commitment will carry. And they will live happily ever ever after. And so regularly as I get, as a pastor, I get approached in the hallway or email and people say to me, Ben, we would love for you to be the one to tie the knot for us. Man, what a privilege that is to think that people want me to be there on one of the most sacred days of their life. And they spend thousands of dollars. They wear a white or nearly white dress and they spend hundreds of dollars on food and preparation and decorations. It's called a wedding and man, there's an entire industry around this thing. And people come together and they spend so much time in preparation for that day. Lots of energy bringing together distant relatives and friendships and reconnections happen all over the place. And then they do something that I help them do. They stand before God in a congregation and they make promises to each other. Promises that on that day they fully intend to keep. They look in each other's eyes and they say, for better, for rich, for in sickness and in health, and richer and poorer, till death do us part. These are promises they make, they're vows they make, and they intend to keep them. Here's the challenge, though. Promises that are made on a day like that, even though the heart is right and we want them and it's all good, and I don't even think it should change at all. Promises made in that kind of setting are easier said than done. Easier said than done. And when promises like that are made in the, bra- in the backdrop of a romantic story that is at work in our culture that says if we can just come together, the commitment, the chemistry, the love will carry us. Well, you take those two forces together, the backdrop of the romantic story, the fantasy that is at work, and you take all the preparation that goes into the day of making promises. And you would think that maybe you have all the necessary ingredients in order for marriages to thrive. But have you looked around? doesn't quite happen that way, does it? I mean, honestly. And it's not like it's, we're talking about people outside the church walls. The divorce rates in our country, the, the damage rates, if you will, between men and women are about the same in the church and out of the church. And we can bemoan that all day. It's just a fact we have to grapple with. Evidently, the promises made with the best of intention and the backdrop of romance, a story that's at work in all of our minds, isn't enough to make sure that our marriages come together in wholeness and in health. And so for the last two weeks, I've been talking to women first and said to you ladies, do not put your hope in anything other than God. Don't let fear dictate. Don't put your hope in beauty. Don't put your hope in another person. Only God can fulfill you. And then I spoke to men last week and I said, I think that we have missed it in that we haven't dreamed and worked the vision for our marriages that God has given us to carry men. And so some of us are really taken seriously. And today, I want to take you to that same passage in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, that we've been looking at. 1 Peter chapter 3, right there in your Bible. And I want to start with a very similar question that I had in mind. What is your vision for your marriage? What is your vision for your marriage? In children's stories, if you can just get the prince and the princess together, the rest takes care of itself. But here's the truth, guys, and we're going to look at this passage today. That's a childhood notion. It's a childhood way of seeing life and realizing 
that it isn't about magically finding the right person or even fixing the wrong person if you're already married. That's fantasy, and it's not a reality. God's word is grounded here on earth, but connected to heaven. And it tells us how to live a real life, not a fantasy life. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, after talking specifically to women, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moves on to talking to men. And he tells men, men, really, the reason that some of your spiritual lives are in the condition they are is because you haven't taken your primary spiritual role as the one who comes alongside and honors the wife and serves the wife and leads with her in being an heir with God in the relationship of this earth and in finding your destiny together. We haven't done that. And it not only hindered our marriages, it's hindered our spiritual lives. Our souls are less full. They're less complete because we haven't taken that role seriously enough. When he gets done talking to women and he gets done talking to men, he now pulls it all together and he shares with us what I think are key indicators, key ingredients of what it takes to get beyond the hype of the day, to rise above the fantasy of bring them together and everything will be fine, to get beyond the promises made of a special moment and actually get into the life we're called to. Some of you men are trying to take seriously this idea of building a vision for your family and even writing it down. The passages we're going to read are going to give you content for the vision God has called you to. It's going to describe the kind of marriage you're supposed to have. And so I want to bring not just men, but women. And not just married people, but single people. This is the blueprint. This content we're looking at today is inspired by God through Peter who was an imperfect follower of Jesus. This guy blew it a lot. He messed up. Jesus told him one day, he said, you're going to deny me, Peter, three times before the night is over. And Peter said vehemently, there's no way that's going to happen to me, Jesus. You know, me and you, we're tight. You're my bud. We're we're, we're in. Everybody else, he says, listen, not only am I going to, everybody else probably will, Jesus, you're probably right, we know them, but not me. I'm going to be fine. And before the night was over, in front of a little girl, this burly fisherman crumbles and he begins to cuss and swear and says, I never even knew of a man called Jesus from that region. What region was he from again? This guy blew it and yet God wasn't done with him. And God worked his plan in Peter's life and raised him up to be a major leader in the early church. And with the heart of a pastor, with the heart of a father, He writes these letters, 1st and 2nd Peter, and he says to all of us, men and women, married and single, young and old, pay attention to these words, 1st Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you, all of you, finally, after all the talking is over, finally, all of you, and in the Greek that means all of you, I mean, there's no mystery here, all of you have unity of mind. What would it look like if you and your spouse had unity of mind? Have sympathy sympathy. Get into the emotion. Carry the weight with. Have sympathy for the person you're with. Have brotherly love. Now the context here isn't just marriage, but in all of your relationships. Love each other like brothers are supposed to love each other. And have familiarity, but the familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Instead, it brings a closeness, and you know them, and you know now how to love better. And a tender heart. And a and I think this is so important, and a humble mind. You want to know God's vision for your family? As you're men, as you're thinking about what 
you want to lead. And women, as you think about the kind of man you want, Peter is giving us significant information to fill in the puzzle for us. Unity of mind is something we strive for and work for. Sympathy and brotherly love and a, and a tender heart and a humble mind. And then kind of acknowledging that when human beings operate in a confined space for any length of time, there's going to be bumping and bruising. We're going to run up against each other and it's not always going to be pleasant. And then we're going to have these awkward moments. He says, now listen, verse 9. And then don't repay evil or reviling. Evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless people. Bless people. Bless people. By the way, this harkens all the way back to the father of the faith called Abraham. You may have heard of him. God looked at Abraham one day and he said, I'm calling you out of your homeland. I'm going to send you to a land, to a place that you didn't build. Its builder and maker will be God. And I want you to start this journey, you and your family. And Abraham's like, uh, just start walking God? And he's like, yeah, just start walking. And I'll show you where to go. Just get started. And on the journey, God stops him along the way and begins to show him the vision. And he says to him at one occasion, I'm going to use you, Abraham, to bless not only you, and not only your wife, and not only your children, I'm going to use you to bless the world. Bless the world. I want to tell you the vision God has for your marriage, the vision God has for your relationship, the vision God has for you, it's so much bigger than just you. God wants to use you to literally bless the world. Bigger than just your small sphere. Let me, let me tell you one of the challenges of being a pastor. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I just need, need you to grapple with this reality for a second. Every week people come and listen. And I am so grateful. I am so humbled that you, that you would come and listen. I, I mean, literally, I, I sit down there often and I'm like, all right, this is the week they're going to wake up and realize I'm an idiot and they're not going to come. And then, of course, because everybody comes late, like, you convince me almost every week at, like, 9.45, turn around, oh, God, it's true, it happened. It, this, this, you know, and so you've know, you got to come a little earlier just because my nerves can't handle it. But beyond, beyond that, beyond that, I'm so, I'm so amazed that, that you would come and, and you would be in a community like this. But I know that a lot of us come, and here's our beginning point. And I guess it's okay to a degree. We, we come and we're so hurt and wounded and we're so challenged where we are that our whole prayer goes like this, God, would you just help me in my junk? Would you just lift me out? Would you just fix her, God? Would you just get me the money? Would you just... And listen, that is okay. The problem is that I, that I feel and I struggle with this. We want to meet people right there. But that's not all that God has for you. And the enemy, I think, sometimes does a great job in taking the scope of God's vision for our life and making it so small and getting us so myopic and short-sightedly focused on our own little piece of the trouble and how we define our trouble and our own sense of happiness and challenges that we forget that you were blessed and I was blessed and your marriage is blessed not just for you but so that you and I can be a blessing to those around us. That literally what God's doing in your life will have a generational impact, not just on you, not just for now, but on your kids, and on your grandkids, and on your great-grandkids, and if you don't have kids, on your neighbors. This vision that God has that you are to bless those around you is large, it's wide, and I want to every Sunday kind of grab you by the head and turn your attention off of your stuff, just and, and, and listen, it's okay, I get it, I do the same thing, but turn our attention on the other half of the thing that God has for us. That's why we're talking so much about destiny and dream, and I'm so proud of Justin for stepping in and taking his step. Hey, listen, he doesn't know all he's facing. 
Neither do you, but you start walking. And you realize that this blessing thing is much bigger. The blessing, and then P- Peter says, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him, and then here's some more information, let him keep his tongue and his lips from speaking deceit. There's got to be a truthfulness. Jesus said, truth sets people free. And I think for some of us, our relationships can be significantly altered if we would just learn to speak the truth. And for some of us, speaking the truth isn't the problem. It's speaking the truth in love is the challenge for us. Going and initiating, having rough conversations. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. This is what Peter says we should do. And here's why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the people who are pressing in, who've been made righteous by Christ and they're attempting to walk out imperfectly. You're called righteous as you partner with God. Not when you achieve the thing, not when you get perfect, but as you begin to walk with God, the righteousness of Christ comes on you. And so the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those leaning in, those in relationship with God. And his whole plan is to be open to them. His ears are open to their prayer. And then I showed you the first week that the Lord gives us through Peter this final wording so we just get the sense of the gravitas of these words. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Can I, can I, can I give you this statement? Your preparation now for the rest of your life is worth way more than your commitment later on. Your preparation right now for the rest of your life is worth way more than your commitment later on. It's what I want to tell every couple that I tie the knot for. Listen, I know you put all kinds of time into this day. And I know you mean every promise that you're speaking, but you don't even have the ability in and of yourself to even know what you're promising. It isn't until 10 years into your marriage often that you find out what you actually promised. Yeah, I see it in guys' eyes all the time. Do you promise to love, honor, cherish? Yeah, yes, I do, I do. What? We can't hear you. Speak out. Go ahead, speak. Can't hear you. And the lady, you know, do you promise? <laughs> and I get it. I get it. But here's what's clear to me. The weight of those promises has an impact on them. You, know, you talk to a person that's been married for 10, 15, 20 30 years, the way we make promise. You know what this is like? This is like me saying to you next week, I'm going to preach the sermon in French. And I sign a document saying I'm going to. And I can make promises all day long. I can intend to. There's no way in one week's time I know nothing about French at all. I went to Paris and didn't enjoy it one bit. I didn't think they liked Americans. And I, you know, I got there and my preconceived ideas were true. And they, they smell. The women don't shave under their arms. It's It's bad. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why we didn't connect. But I can promise all day long to come and preach a message in French next week. I can mean it from the depth of my soul. I don't have the ability to do that. What, what I do have the ability to do in my marriage is to make promises and lean in with God and try to grow and become. Today's whole point can be summed up in this. Rather than trying to fix the person you're with, Rather than trying to find the right person like the fairy tales of our childhood, God has called each of us to become the person that he's called us to be. There is an individual call on us to become the person he's called us to be. And in becoming who we're called to be, we tend to attract the people around us that God God wants in our lives. We tend to attract the people that are going to help us move forward together. 
the story was told of a girl who discovered how beautiful she was in her late high school year so that when she went to college, she lived the typical American college experience, being pursued by guys and partying on Friday and Saturday and then calming down a little bit on Sunday and going into her Monday life. And after two to three years of this, it was beginning to wear on her a little bit and she began to think about the future and maybe finding a mate. And one day, after a long night of partying, she goes home and sees her mom. And she's describing for her mom the kind of man that she wants. I want him faithful. I want him true. I want his eyes to look only at me. I don't want him to be a perv like some of the guys I've met. And I want him to be a hard worker, mom. And I want him, I want him to be able to speak kindly and softly to me. And she listed off. She had a whole list of things. Her vision for the man she wanted. And her mom turned to her and he said, the problem with your description isn't your description. It's just the man that you're looking for isn't looking for a girl like you. And so you can want those things all day long, but it ain't going to happen for you. Because the way you get a man like that is you become the kind of person that a man like that is looking for. The way you get a renewed marriage, like starting tomorrow, isn't fixing your spouse. It's becoming the kind of person, if you're married, that draws the kinds of qualities out of your wife or out of your husband that you want. And so it's less about fixing them and more about fixing you. Listen, if you're single, the way you get the kind of guy or the kind of gal you want isn't by intending to stand in front of them one day and make promises before God and people. It isn't by living the fantasy life of all we got to do is bring the man and woman together and then the commitment and the love and the excitement and the chemistry will keep us rolling. It's about preparing today for what you want tomorrow. It's about becoming who God called you to become so that you can attract, hold on to, nurture, and develop the kind of people you want to spend your life with. So here's the truth. I've bumped my head against this a thousand times and I've never been able to change the truth. I can't change a single person. I have a hard enough time trying to change me. I can't change my wife. The best I can do for my marriage isn't to have an agenda for her. The first step for me to have a healthy and vibrant marriage is to fully embrace God's agenda for me. So let the words of 1 Peter chapter 3 to men and then to the general words we just read speak loud in my life and raise the standard for me. When I do that, my preparation now is worth way more than any commitment I'm going to make later on. It's way more important than the commitment I made on the day. We think that commitment is all it takes. And I'm telling you, you can be committed and your marriage can still be vibrant less and lifeless. What God has called us to is preparation. I'm trying to broaden this out beyond just married people. I know we have a lot of single and single again people. So I thought that for just a moment I'd take a second and kind of tell you a couple of cool things about, you know, what the Bible says for single people. And, you know, kind of, let's just call them biblical pickup lines, all right? You got your pens ready? These are kind of biblical pickup lines for single people. Um, is a man meets a girl and he walks up here and he says, excuse me, I believe one of your ribs belongs to me. I'm not sure it works at a bar, but maybe, maybe it works in church. Or here's a good one. My, my friend told me to come and meet you. And he said that you're really nice. You have a good personality and you're beautiful. And uh, I think you may have heard of him. His name is Jesus. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's his name. Or, or, or this one, uh, I don't really see it, but some people say I'm as strong as Samson. I have the wisdom of Solomon. You know, tend to drop biblical references. Or my favorite, last night I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I didn't have yours. <laughs> see? If you're in the Middle Ages, I guess you could say, you put the cute back in persecution. I don't know. Listen, beyond pickup lines and schemes and three steps to what you want and how to get the thing and how to have a vibrant, what if we just did what the Bible encourages us to do and grow up a little bit and let God do his work in our lives? And then from a place of better health, we start dreaming and enlarging the vision for our families. I mean, what if instead of seeing Jill's faults, you know, like first, and I, listen, I know if you've met my wife, you're like, what faults does she have? But I got to tell you, I got to tell you straight up. No, listen, listen, just a moment of honesty. Go ahead and pull the mask off. We don't need your mask here in Christianity. I'll just be honest for a moment. My wife can, she has another side of her. I, I, I love her, but she has this other side. The other day she got mad and like fire came out of her eyes and killed puppies and stuff. And I was like, whoa, what are you doing? And she's like, Wah! And so, I, listen, I know, I know that if you, but, what if instead of seeing all those problems in my, what if, what if the first thing I did every time was I went to God's word or I got on my knees and I humbled myself and I said, now God, what would you like to do in me? I want to read you a passage that I often read at marriages. I'm not going to spend a lot of time commenting on it because it's simple, but it's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. And they, th this passage forms the content of what God wants to do in my life. Not just what he wants to do in my wife's life or in your life. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and love is kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it's not proud. And what if, what if I took those descriptions and I applied them simply to my life, no further? I'm telling you, if you will do that, you can begin to have a new marriage starting tomorrow. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. This idea of honor and submission and building up is huge. We're so afraid of authority in our modern culture. Somebody's going to take advantage of us. And yet God looks at women and he says to them, honestly, this is just every place in the Bible, so you can't ignore it. And you have to wrestle with this and figure out what it says to you specifically. But in every place, it says that there's, a, there's an authority structure in marriage where women submit to their husbands. That's been defined a thousand ways. There's an entire spectrum. Everything from it really doesn't even mean that to you should just shut up and do what your husband tells you. Neither of those extremes is correct, all right? There's a middle ground and a healthier place that's more biblical. We're actually going to get to that over the next few weeks. I wanted to do it today, but with everything else, I, I couldn't get to it fully. So, teaser, come back, all right? So, with that said, though, what if this idea of fully honoring each other was lived out in our home? I and mean, what, if, what if you really tried to honor your husband, really tried to honor your wife? What if you live this next phrase? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. I was meeting with some guys in my small group this week, and we were talking about how the fact that when you get you know, in an argument, you already know where it's going to go. Like if you've been married for five, six, seven years, every time you start talking, you already know where the argument's going to go. You already know what she's going to say. You already know where it's going to... What, what if we didn't keep a record of those wrongs and we engaged everything with a fresh and a new perspective and a willing and trusting heart. 
Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects men. Love always protects. It always protects people in our life. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. There's this always thing in it. Love never fails. But there's some other spiritual things that don't hold the same level of consistency. Where there are prophecies, they're going to stop. Where there are tongues, they're going to be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when fullness, when completion comes, when we're totally grown up, when Jesus is fully revealed, what is in part disappears. Now listen, here's the key for us. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. I wonder if the vision for your marriage isn't where it needs to be. I wonder if it should begin with you grasping and following God's vision for you as a disciple of Jesus. And then letting words out of 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians impact you in a way where you're just wide open to receive it. And the seeds are planted in your heart. As Jesus said, the sower goes along and some of the seed falls on rocky soil or among thorny bushes or it's scorched out by the sun. But some of them find good, healthy soil and take root and grow. I wonder if that were you consistently, what impact that would have had on your marriage that is now not what it should be. If just you, forget the other person. Just you, fully honored God in the kinds of ways we're talking about. And if you're single, I wonder if just you, forget the man you're looking for, just you fully grew up in Christ. I wonder what kind of change that would bring to your parenting men. I don't know God's detailed plan for your life. But I do know that in passages like this, we get crystal clear mirror image to look at ourselves against the standard of God and say, now God, I have some desires and hopes and I want my marriage to go in this direction. But before I even begin that, would you do your full work in me? And it could be that one of the worst things that you'll ever do if you're not married is to stand before a preacher and an audience and make promises. And you spent more time preparing for the day than you'd spent preparing to keep the promises you're about to make. I mean, men who are selfish and self-centered and full of lust and don't want to always protect and don't want to always trust and don't always persevere, they're not the kind of men that can make a till-death-do-us-part kind of promise. They're not. And putting on a touch doesn't instantly change your character. Coming to a church service and bowing your head one time and getting up unchanged doesn't change your character. The vision for your marriage is the call of God on you as a unique one in Christ. He said, I will take the man and the woman. They'll be one in us. But it's the idea of in Christ. That's why, that's why we're not doing Oprah. That's why we're not doing Dr. Phil. We're not interested in better marriages. We're interested in you and I becoming better disciples. And out of being better disciples, we will have better homes. We'll have better marriages and better parenting, better dating, better sex, better abstinence, better everything. When we put Jesus on the full throne of our heart and we give him full reign, 
That's when we are growing up as men and women of God and we put the childish ways behind us. If you're holding on to bitterness of any kind, the Bible calls you an infant. Not me. Listen, these words don't sting anybody in this room more than they sting me. If you're still downloading porn at night while your wife's in bed, the Bible calls you an infant. An adolescent at best. If you haven't thought through the weight of the promises you made on that day, however many years ago, and then weighed yourself against them and against the Scripture, the Bible says that you probably have these infantile realities at work in your life, and they don't produce the kind of thing that all of us really long for. Real love. Real vibrancy. Real partnership. Now we're called to become the person before we even look out. This is, by the way, the essence of Jesus' teaching when he said, before you pull the speck out of your brother's eye, you should probably take a lot of effort to pull the entire two-by-four out of your own. And then when you've done your work, Jesus says, we stop right there. When you've done your work, then and only then can you risk turning your attention and looking at the bigger picture. And I don't think, as I plotted and prayed this week, I don't think God's done doing his work in individuals, so I can't even move forward and talk about healthy marriages yet. I think God wants us to experience not just revival in our homes, but revival in the seat where you're sitting right now. And I think Jesus wants to rise up and be Lord in your life, not just in a church and not just in our community. And I think when that happens, there's where transformation begins to happen. If I take my life with Jesus seriously, and I'm growing in him, and I'm letting the scripture speak to me with clarity, I'm openly receptive, my mind is alert, my heart is open, and I do that, and then I go to my wife and want to have a conversation about some area of our life where we want to grow together. You know what I find? Now listen, I've only been married 23 years. I know some of you can top that. Some of you are like, oh my God, 23. Why are you in prison? I, I got it. Listen, when I go to my wife and I, and I talk to her and I've been letting the Holy Spirit do its work in my life, you know what I find? The way I talk to her is radically different. And you know what that does in my marriage? It changes the next 30 minutes of our conversation. It just does. It's like the magic pill. It works. I don't have a 10-step for that, but it's all about me allowing God to work in my life. And you know what? When my wife does the same, when she engages God for her, and then she comes to me and says, I don't particularly enjoy what just happened here. I don't like that. I don't like what you did. You know, you what? My, no matter how harsh I want to be, no matter what walls I put up, there is an immediately coming down of the barrier. Now, it's not instant. It doesn't happen all, but there's an immediate softening of that wall and that barrier. I'm telling you, if you want a new marriage, you need a new you. And when you get a new you that is fully yielded to God, that, is that when you're imperfect, you make it right with God and others. And there's a softness in you towards the truth of the scripture. And then you discipline your life around some of the priorities of the scripture, like engaging God and spending time together with the people you're supposed to spend time together. When you do those things, and listen, none of them are, are, are hard to understand. Every one of them requires a certain amount of tenacity to do. They're hard in the sense it takes effort. They're not hard in the sense that it's hard to understand. That will trump any promise you made at an altar any day. So that if you haven't been fully faithful in all the vows you made and you've already disappointed a bit, 
I'm telling you, the fresh start isn't to make new promises. It's to get on your knees before God and repent and let Him begin to work in your life. And then after you do that for a while and you feel the washing of His blood over your soul, freshening and restoring and making new, then you have a little bit of margin to begin engaging the issues in your life. This is my message to you today. What might change in your marriage if you gave your spouse complete freedom to let you know what part of 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 Peter 3 you should begin to focus on? What if you took the passages I read today, 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 Peter 3, and you put your Bible in front of your spouse or your best friend, and you said, which part of this do I need to work on? You know why I'm sharing this with you? It isn't because it's all that profound. It's because it's life-changing. This week, and I hate to admit this, I'm reading the passages and I found myself making a short list for Jill to work on. As I'm preparing for this message, I had to stop on a dime and turn and say, now God, somehow the enemy worked in my life and I read these passages through the lenses of what my wife needed to do. I didn't even realize it. I was there before I, before, I, I woke up and realized I was there. That is death in a marriage. What brings life is you dying to yourself and being raised with Christ into the new man or woman he's making you to be. And it will change everything. And it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Literally, open your Bible this week and then men, shut your mouth. Listen, just, honey, I'm gonna be quiet. It's gonna be hard for me. Do you pick out the two or three you want me to start working on? No, seriously, no pushback, no pushback. Just tell me what you want me to work on. And then, then would you pray for me this week? I mean, what if, what if this week you prayed for your spouse without talking to them? Like, here's what you need, but you just got alone and you prayed for them. I mean, what would change in your marriage if you gave your spouse complete freedom and then you responded with grace and action? What if you're single? You went to your best friend like who is already on board with you about your spiritual stuff. Don't go to your morons who are acting d- like dummies and expect them to give you wisdom. But you go to people who are walking the same way with you and you say, look, here's God's word. Here's what it says I should do. I need some fresh eyes. Would you read this passage? And would you tell me, look, you don't have to build a case. You don't have to make an argument. You don't have to pre- Just tell me the two or three I need to work on. You know me. I'm telling you, it will change everything. Your next steps perhaps are literally opening the pages of God's word and putting the Bible in front of your spouse or a trusted godly friend and saying, now talk to me about me. I'm done complaining about my marriage to my friend. I'm done talking about how hard this is. I'm done pretending to make a new resolution and starting fresh again. And now I want real change. I'm telling you, friends, it would change the trajectory of your marriage. If you're not married, it will change the trajectory that you're on, whether or not you want to be married. It will change everything for you. So, here are three next steps I want to offer to you. So if you grab out your your Connect card, we'll look at them together. Somebody said to me, Ben, I want to be in a small group. I don't have time. My first thought was, you're an idiot. Honestly. You're telling me that your marriage is struggling and you don't have time to get into a real marriage small group, I already know what's wrong with your marriage. Your priorities are out of whack. So, next step C. Small groups are closed, by the way, but I've asked Pastor Matt if he'd open them online. 
And some of you, the truth of the matter is you're doing okay in your marriage, but you need maintenance protection. And so you need to get in a small group. Here's what Next Step C says. I'm going to beg God, I'm going to beg to get into a real marriage group that's already been closed. And what you're going to do when you go home today, you're going to get online, you're going to go to fourcorners.com, and you're going to find the groups there, and you're going to fill out the form, and then the leader's going to contact you, and you're going to like make the pitch. I know you're already closed, and I've waited, but the truth is I need to take this more seriously than I have. I'm making some adjustments. Would you let me in? I'm telling you, that kind of thing right there changes things. Next step, D. I need God to help me deal with bitterness and anger and hurt that's blocking my relationships. As I was thinking about this and thinking about us and really what I feel like God wants us to get through, I I just had this mental picture of a mountain of blackness, of hurt and bitterness and anger. And God wants to heal that. And finally, next step, E. I'll pray for God to rise up four corners as the disciple-making church it's called to be as never before. When we do that, friends, those of you that are on the dream team making this happen around here, when we become the disciples God wants us to be, hell can't stop us. You can join me with a little squirt gun and we can charge the gates of hell together with the squirt gun and we'll be successful. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than the forces of your marriage. Greater is he that is in you than your anger and your bitterness and resentment. Greater is he that is in you than your fear. Greater is he that is in you than your loneliness. Jesus really is the answer to your marriage. Which next step do you need to take? Let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, God, I want to thank you for uh, stopping me uh, in my tracks. Even as I'm preparing to dispense your truth, God, um, the enemy was at work in my mind, helping me to see others and not myself. God, I don't think I'm alone in that. And so today, I bring myself in humility to you, Father. And I say, I repent, Lord. I repent for looking at Jill first, for looking at our church first. And what you want to do is you want to do your work in me. You want to bless me so that I can be a blessing. You want, God, me to be honoring to you. And when I do that, you'll bring joy to me. So, Father, I pray that throughout the life of this church and singles and married people, in men and women, in young and old, we would spend our time preparing to be the people you've called us to be. And then from that position of walking with you, we would engage the other issues of our life. I pray it, Lord, in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. So you guys stand up and sing with me.